Subscribe to this podcast to get exclusive access to the after show, Shooting the Breeze. Hello and welcome to Cool Explorations. Today we are going to be speaking to Pastor Douglas Ward, who is a professor of biblical literature at Olivet Nazarene University. Um, so along with myself, your host, Tony Peters, we are going to discuss uh, the different key elements of the Bible and how they apply to today's society and uh, how it can help us going forward. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cool Explorations. Today we have Pastor Douglas Ward. Uh, he is a pastor at Mundelein Church of Nazarene, as well as a professor of biblical literature at Olivet uh, Nazarene University. So why don't you start off by just telling us briefly about yourself and uh, a little bit about what you do. Wow. Well, probably much of a boring life. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm married been married for 35 years, rapidly approaching 36, have a couple kids, four grandchildren, one on the way. Uh, if I'd have known being a grandfather was this much fun, I'd have had grandkids first. Um, but I think I went had, had to get the kids out of the way uh, first. Um, I um, grew up in Ohio, uh, n- northern Ohio. I grew up in a uh, family, a single parent home. I mean, after age five. Uh, my dad decided to live a little differently, and he didn't want the responsibility of family anymore. So my mom went back to her hometown, and uh, so I was raised very much in a single parent home. Um, I'm also adopted, um, and uh, at age 55, this is not topic for today. I met my biological father for the first time, and we weren't looking. But anyway, um, and. Uh, um, I am a pastor. I've been pastor of this church now for 20 years. Um, I'm a professor of basically New Testament at uh, Olivet Nazarene University. It is an adjunct position, but I've been there for, this is my 19th year, where I've taught a variety of New Testament and biblical courses. I like having my feet in both worlds, Um, written a few books, Um, and in the summer, very Long-term frustrated Cleveland Indians, now Cleveland Guardians baseball fan. I don't like the new name. Um, and uh, like to get out on the golf course with my son, like to ride my bike, enjoy the Midwest evenings. Um, pastor in the suburbs of Chicago, the far northwest suburbs, where I've lived here now since 1993. And uh, I guess that's just a, a, a basic picture. My life would be better if the Browns or the Indians slash Guardians would ever win a championship, but we'll just be a frustrated <laughs> fan until that point. Yeah, I understand that with hockey uh, a little bit more, although I don't really watch sports much since they went woke. When they started introducing yep. all the wokeness, I, I quit watching. <laughs> Makes it tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I watch sports to get away from politics, not get further into politics. I'm with you. So why don't you tell us a little about your testimony uh, and what God's been kind of doing in your life currently? Um, I grew up in church. Um, I grew up in the church that my grand that my that my grandmother was involved in, that my mom was raised in. Um, and so church has always been a part of life. It is very difficult for me to give a testimony about, uh, I don't have a story of being away from the Lord or, you know, I was an alcoholic or a drug addict or anything like that. Church is everything that I've ever known. I I suppose one could tie it down to, there's so many times when you're a child, seven years old, 10 years old, where you feel the pull on your heart by God. And I always responded my joke is my the first words out of my mouth were mama. The second word was dad, dad. And the third word out of my mouth was how many do we have in Sunday school this morning? Um, <laughs> but, but that's kind of my testimony. Um, I was always, I never really had a time of falling away that rebellious time as a teen. Um, and so God has always been very, very good to me. I suppose the biggest battle I had was, Right there at the end of high school, starting college, I was feeling a call to full-time Christian ministry. I had in my head law school. I was briefly pursuing one of the service academies, West Point or the Naval Academy, and realized that that wasn't the path. And there was this 
you know, three, four months, right, or realize, is, is this Christianity going to be just this part of my life, or is it going to be all of it? Am I, is God going to get all of me, or just the parts I'm comfortable with? And in that time, I really had to wrestle whether I was going to say yes. And I'm a big believer that when you say yes to God, that's not a partial yes. That's not a little segment of my life yes. It's an all or nothing yes. And at that stage, that all or nothing was, you know, I'm asking you to this full-time Christian ministry, and if you're going to say yes, that's what it's going to mean. And uh, so in my probably September, October, my freshman year of college, um, that was a full-time yielding, God, yes, whatever you want, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. And uh so that wasn't the process of becoming a Christian, but that was the process for me of having to fully yield to God and fully yield to His Holy Spirit in my life. I couldn't just say yes in part and no over here. It had to be across the board or it was nothing. So I hope that helps a little. Yeah, well, not everybody has to have that like traumatic testimony or anything. I always say uh, everybody's got a story to tell, and uh, one person's story may not relate to another person, but the next person it may relate to. Uh, and uh, that's that's how we reach people and we spread uh, the seed for the Holy Spirit to, to get to work and, mm-hmm. and work in people's lives. Um, with uh, your Bible school studies, um, how does that prepare Christians for their work with God? So... Um... I was very much a, it was called a religion major. It was, I, it was part of my bachelor's degree was in religion. Um, and then after, when I got done with college, I went straight to a ministry position. And after about six years, I had, I pulled out and then got a master's in uh, biblical theology and then PhD work also in uh, biblical theology. So I think it's like everything. Um, I think that you can be very, very effective for God without any education. The wisest person I probably known theologically is my grandmother. She didn't have any advanced education. Um, however, I think these things are, are wonderful tools to have in your tool belt. While I can be very effective, if God has given me the capacity and the resources um, to do this, I think I can be even more effective with these other tools. So I would say if you're going to do it, go into it with all your heart. Go into it open to um, learning new things that will make you even more effective. Have it open your eyes to some things that are going on um, in Scripture that you wouldn't otherwise know about, because I think one of the things that I think we don't appreciate as much as we should is in our mind, we have this Bible that somehow floats down from heaven on a golden cloud with angels humming in the background, almost like a very Joseph Smith Mormon view of the Bible. When we forget that this was written in a particular time and place, and it helps us to understand that place and that history and all the stuff that's going on to really get to the heart of why the first people that read it went, wow, this is life-changing. We must preserve this for everybody that's coming after us. Um, And so if you do that, I think it opens up a whole new world and it opens up a whole new wealth of meanings that we allow to happen if we kind of really embrace Everything we have to embrace, I think, the studies, but also while we do so, continue to engage and embrace the ongoing guidance and wisdom of the Holy Spirit in our life. Because we all know stories of people who maybe went to a higher level of education and then abandoned the faith for one reason or another. So I think there's a dual track. I think this is helpful, but it can never replace the dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I. I agree i myself have one year of bible school um i would have done more but i got married in between 
Uh, and part of the rules at the Bible school I was at was if you got married, you had to take a year off Bible school to make sure you don't have the pressures in okay. your marriage. Uh, so I had to end up taking a year off. And in that time, we ended up going and moving. And I took youth care studies at a different at a different college. But it definitely helps to have that school, Bible school knowledge as that, like you say, a tool. Yeah. Um, and as well, um, that open heart to be willing to learn and study continuously afterwards. Um, cause I am all about other people know a lot more than I do. Uh, so there's a lot to learn from, from other people. Uh, so I, I always do that and prayer always goes along with all of that study because sure. God, God needs to guide that. Um, what books are there out there that you would consider to be a, a must read for Christians at any stage in their lives? Oh, must read. Wow. You know, um, a book that pops into mind right away, because I think it, th this isn't one, maybe I think this is one for everybody. You don't is simply Christian by N.T. Wright. Um, you could also say Simply Jesus by N.T. Wright. It's just, he is a wonderful way of working through that ancient culture and presenting Jesus in a very simple context. And for us to understand what it would have meant then really enlivens, at least to me, what it means to be a follower of Jesus now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think those are two wonderful, wonderful books that just have a way of getting rid of all the weeds and you can really concentrate on the the real thing that's trying to grow up in the midst of a lot of things that could choke it off. I'll have to check out those books because, uh, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Um, you do Old Testament and you also do New Testament, so I want to take um, time to just pull a few key elements from each of those sections of the Bible. Um, and so, what are some key elements from the old testament that people could could really take away to apply to today's life so one of the things that i think can happen is especially with christians is we become a follower of christ and and often will almost relegate the old testament to second class status yeah we can ignore that now and i think one of the things that i've held for years is there is nothing very original in the New Testament. Most of the New Testament is an expansion or restatement of a few Old Testament texts. Yeah. So if I want to go back, I would say um, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, um, that we do not live in an accidental world. We are not the random splatter of an unthought of, uncared for, unguided um, process. I don't care if you're young earth, old earth, the earth is 6,000 years old or 4 billion years old. It really doesn't matter to me with an eternal God who's not bound by any of those categories. We are not in this accidental world. We live in a purposeful creation. And then Genesis chapter 2 is we are purposefully created to have relationship. And God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. We don't really, we're not fully alive until we have God living in us. Um, Genesis 22, that story of Abram and uh, Abraham and Isaac going up Mount Moriah for the near sacrifice of Isaac. That is one of the seminal stories of the Old Testament. It, yes, it sets up Jesus, but also it it is, um, we read that as a test of Abraham's faith. And in the ancient Jewish world, their main character was Isaac. It was Isaac that was the obedient son. Isaac was the faithful servant. Isaac was willing to die. And because of his obedience, a new people were created. Well, you can say all those things about Jesus. Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbors yourself. Deuteronomy 6.4, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, I jump forward to um, the prophets, um, um, the suffering servant of Isaiah uh, 53 and other places. Jeremiah, uh, sorry, Ezekiel chapter uh, 
sorry, Jeremiah chapter 31, I will, uh, I will write, they will no longer have a heart of flat, a heart of stone, but they will have a heart of spirit. No longer will one man uh, teach another, for they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their sin and remember it no more. This great promise of, uh, of uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, Ezekiel, this vision of God's presence leaving the tabernacle because he's finally had enough. And by the way, the same the same words, the same description of the, the flame, the fire leaving God's temple in Ezekiel 10 is the same description and wording we find in Acts 2, where the fire now comes back into mm -hmm. God's temple, which is now no longer a building, but God's people. Um, so you see this whole Old Testament, this importance of the presence of God, the promise of a coming day, Joel chapter 2, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. No longer will it just be Jew, it'll be Jew and Gentile, it'll be men and women, will be slave and free. So this picture of, of establishment of us in this really special place, the story of our falling away from that, you have personal sin of Genesis 3, the fall of man, you have the community sin, Cain and Abel. You have the ultimate societal sin, the Tower of Babel. You have all this sin, personal sin, communal sin, society-wide. And now you got to set the stage. What am I going to do? Well, first I got to, I got to set all these laws in place just to keep you dumb humans in guardrails. <laughs> God doesn't just want these rules because he's he's a tough taskmaster, but we'll destroy ourselves unless we stay in the right way. But point the way to what's coming. The prophets start to speak of it. And then you get to the New Testament and you get to this, this unique life of Jesus where you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke that all share similar stories. Matthew more to a Jewish audience, Luke to a Gentile audience. Then you have John, which is a completely different animal altogether, completely different gospel. And yet you have this they all point to this, this climactic event, this thing that happened on a cross, and then the thing that happened a couple days later when he appeared not only to me but to hundreds of others. Paul refers to it later on. And then, then he also appeared to me as one untimely born. As I can't understand why he would even pick me out like he did. You start to see this. This new thing happened only Jews, but also to Gentiles as well. You get to Paul's letters in Galatians where he's really trying to navigate this Jew-Gentile. If, if God's people now are beyond Jews, how do we knit them together? And in Corinthians, how do I set up this church in this cosmopolitan environment with rich people and poor people and Jew and Gentile and pagan and ex-pagan? And, and how do I navigate all this? And then you finally get the revelation, which is that great grand vision at the end. You know, uh, I, I will be their God. They'll be my people. I'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Behold, I'm making everything new. Um, and so you have this, this full story that starts off with this wonderful creation, our alienation, God's continued attempts to redeem us and get us back there where we just mess it up again. Mm-hmm and pointing toward what Jesus finally did and this grand vision and revelation of, of, of all God's people together uh, uh, in, in eternity. So I think we have to keep all of this together. So those are some of the, I guess, the highlights of the text that I would point out. Yeah, and I love how um, God with the Bible, he bookends it with uh, starting off with this perfect, creation this perfect world and then he ends it off with this perfect creation this perfect world mm -hmm. and us falling in between but in the end god's in control and we can't destroy his perfect creation it's going to be a perfect creation again yes and, and i love that message because it's just the story of our lives how we, we we come out this perfect little child who's uh, a wonderful blessing we screw up so much because of sin and the devil's work uh but then at the end of our lives if we've committed our lives to christ 
we're this perfect, wonderful creation again. Uh, and it's just, it's an amazing thing to really wrap your mind around and, and think about just how much love uh, went into all of that. And I love your your point about Genesis, uh, the creation, because I mean, we watch, we've been watching Shark Week on Discovery and they keep saying millions of years, these sharks have been around and, and uh, they evolved to do this and that. And my son's just, my son just says, um, prove it. Like it's not... <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, that. Th- there's there's no real proof for it. It's all theories, and uh, the Bible has the proof to back it up. So, um, I, I love that point. Um, how can people apply the Old and the New Testament both together? Because they do work hand in hand, like you say. The New Testament quotes the Old Scripture or the Old Testament so often uh, throughout it, including Jesus Himself quoting it. Um, how do we tie that into our own lives um, and into our society? I think, first of all, I, I, one of the things that that bothers me about today is that on Sunday morning, and I'm not trying to paint with too broad a brush, but I think there's an element of this that's largely true. We have a lot of people in our churches that know a lot more about the latest bachelorette or what's going on with the Kardashians than they do the story of scripture. Yeah. Um, and so when they're one of the things that I did early on, and I can't remember what the impetus was, but it started in seventh grade and I did it then for the next seven years. And I went from seventh grade all the way to my sophomore year of college Every year I read the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation. I had you know one of those reading plans, and I did it every single year. And you never know when you're just walking, mowing the yard, and something will pop into your head, like maybe it's been a tough week, and all of a sudden you're mowing your yard, and the, the thought that hits your head is, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who makes both heaven and earth. And you don't know when these things were, you're kind of gearing yourself up for God to speak to you. I don't think God does much speaking through the Kardashians. I don't, <laughs> or, or the Bachelorette or whatever else is happening. And so, and the other thing I think that, that we need to do is we really need to um, respect, respect the Bible and kind of really spending time to get with the message. Um, and, and you have to consider what's going on at the time. Um, so like we, we clean things up so much and I don't think we understand like the battle someone like Paul had. Um, he would go, for instance, um, one of the things that we hear a lot of, and I, I, I don't want to burst any bubbles. We go, oh, it's Pentecost. It's the birthday of the church. No, the only people at Pentecost were Jews. It was a Jewish festival. That was a Jew-only event. That was no Gentiles allowed. It's not until Peter at Cornelius' house or Paul up in Antioch that we get Gentiles in. Maybe the birthday of the church is, it's an event that wasn't recorded. It was Paul's ministry up in Antioch. And it was so successful that all the people at Pentecost then sent representatives to Galatia after Paul to correct Paul's mistakes. And... (laughs) Um, and Paul was really the one that was fighting for what we would now be considered the correct way of considering this Christianity and the end result of Jesus' ministry. So it's it's not as easy and clean. It's okay to wrestle with things. It's okay to struggle with things. It's okay to find yourself having fallen short and saying, all right, He who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. I'm going to fix the flat tire and I'm going to move on instead of, well, I can't do this. I might as well give up. I might as well go back to an old way of life. We can, we can engage. We can, we can struggle with life and come up short. And I, I, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Paul would have said, that doesn't mean you, excuse the sin or try to sin, just realize that grace is more powerful. So um, 
And so I, I think we need to live with more confidence than we do. I think we need to live with more zest than we do. I think we need to live with the knowledge that we're on the winning team more than we do. Mm-hmm. I think we need to live with this vision. And we have so much in our, you know, popular culture about heaven, streets of gold and wings and a bell ringing and from all the movies. And I think you were, you were much more on track. The picture in Revelation is a recreation, heaven and earth joined together. So think of your favorite spot on earth. Um, think of that place. I, not I'm thinking of a place up by you, Glacier National Park, which I know connects to Waterton yeah. Park. Beautiful and, area, beautiful. Yeah, and we hiked up to this lake. It was like a seven-mile hike, and we're surrounded by these snow-capped peaks, and there's this beautiful blue water, and there's a 72 degrees and a nice breeze, and the whole hillside was alive with wildflowers. And if you could just think of that perfect place, but take away the deadlines, disease, decay, degradation, fill it with people that have no agendas, but just the love and support and, and not wanting that minute to ever stop. You want time to stand still and you're beginning to get a picture of what eternity is going to be like. We've even kind of degraded it with some of our popular imagination, but that's not the picture in Revelation. Yeah. And uh, we, we think of physical items like like the gold, we get like say wrapped up in the gold and the and and the jewels and the riches and it's like well that's not what God's really talking about that's not the riches He's talking about the riches is being in God's glory and being able to worship Him forever and and being in His beauty like when I I really enjoy kind of going for prayer walks because you get to be in just God's glory and be like yeah like God created that it's amazing and and I love that. And uh, I think you're right about the church. The heavens declare the glory of God. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think you're right about the church um, that we, we've we lost a lot of that zest, that zealous fervor for God um, as, a, as a church, as a Christian community. Um, and, and I think that we need to, get, A, get back to the Bible uh, in terms of looking at that, but just throw away our fear. Of rejection because so much of our society has that fear of rejection and it's like paul as an example how much did he go through because of his zest and zealous and fervor for god he went through so much uh pain and suffering and uh most of the the disciples came across just horrific endings <laughs> Well, well th- think about Paul just for a second. And, I, and sometimes I have to remind people of this, and, and it sounds strange. So if you read Galatians, if you read the book of Acts, and I, I'm not trying to offend my Roman Catholic friends, Peter was not the leader of the early church. It was James. And Peter was very much marching to James's beat. So you had Jesus' brother, and Jesus' head disciple over here. And on this side, you had Paul, who went into a place like Antioch and said, hey, James is great, Peter's great, but they're wrong about this. And you need to follow. Jesus said, uh, make disciples of all nations. And they're just hung up with the Jews. And I know that I have a checkered history, and Paul had a checkered history. Um, but they're wrong. And so this battle in the New Testament is Paul is actually, not physically, but he's really fighting Jesus' brother and Jesus' head disciple about what's the best understanding of this new faith. And I don't think you understand what that struggle must have been. He went into every room where Peter was the rock star, and Paul was the guy with the history, and he had to buy argumentation going back through the Old Testament saying, no, they've already wandered off. Jesus said all nations. And so Paul was struggling against two more popular people with less of a history than him. Yeah. And Paul really uh, put the hammer down. Like he was one who was not afraid to put that hammer down 
Um, or if if he was rejected in a place, shaking his the dirt off of his sandal and, and just moving on to a different different area where he could uh, be reaching sure. people. And and we need to kind of look at that too. And uh, you know, with when I get people responding on my things, I have a three strike rule where it's like I'll respond three times. If you don't appear to be uh, actually wanting a reasonable discussion, then I'm not going to respond past that because, uh, like like Paul does, you got to shake the the dirt off your sandal and move on to people who are actually willing to hear the word of God. Yeah, and Paul struggled a lot early with the Jews so much that he he was the he was the Jewest the Jewish Jew that ever came down the pike. And he spent his whole life reaching out to Gentiles. And, yeah. and, and it's hard to get that dichotomy in our head, how, how much of a radical change that was. See, I don't think Paul had a conversion. I think when we say conversion of Paul, I think that's a complete misnomer. Um, what I mean by that is, what was Paul before the Damascus Road? He was this 100% person committed to doing God's will and to establishing correct doctrine and doing all he could to be sure everybody understood God's will correctly. What was he like after Damascus Road? 100% committed to God with complete zeal, trying to teach good doctrine and being sure everybody understand what God's wanted to do in the world. Paul had this complete reorientation. He found out he was wrong. But his zeal for God was almost unchanged. He just realized that what I once thought was to my profit, I now know was to my loss. And what's now I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ and power of his resurrection. Yeah, and it, it does try kind of drive me nuts with um, a lot of denominations, how we get the sainthood. Um, because we're all called to be saints. We're all saints of God. And and that is what we're all called to be. So when we put people on a pedestal and say, you know, you're Saint Paul, you're Saint Peter, it's kind of taking away from the fact that we're all called to that life. And and I think that uh, it's taking the focus away from Jesus, which is the main focus in the Bible. That's where our focus is supposed to be on. Yeah. Read First Corinthians. Paul never stopped calling them saints. Mm-hmm. And look at the church in Corinth. <laughs> look at some of the stuff they were struggling with. And Paul never stopped calling them saints. The church in Galatia was so zealous that they were volunteering to be circumcised as adults. And Paul said, you have abandoned the faith. And just let that stew in your head a little bit. Because what was going on was, as messed up as the Corinthians were, they never once denied that the central point was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Exactly. The Galatians had said, well, the death and resurrection is a great thing, but you also have to avoid bacon double cheeseburgers, and you have to um, not go to Red Lobster and you know all the Jewish food laws as well. And Paul said, wait, as soon as you make it anything other than the death and resurrection, you might be good, you might be moral, but you cease to be Christian. And I, th- I think it's a, just a, a good reminder sometimes for us today. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the fact that we we put so many things ahead of God, uh, they're more important than God. And it's like, well, no, God and Jesus Christ, their teachings, that is the main focus in our lives. That's what we should be really focused on. And I've harped on this many times, but I think that as a church and as a Christian community, because uh, I don't just want to pick on the church, it is the whole Christian community, even those who don't necessarily go to church. Uh, we think, you know, I go to church or I follow Christ, so I'm fine. Uh, I don't have to do anything with that. I'm fine. I can just I can just pray, read my Bible, and I'll be okay. And it's like, well, you may be okay, but the next person is not okay. And that's where the Great Commission really comes in. And we're called to like you say, make disciples of all nations. And yeah. that's our responsibility is to share that the word of God with people. Yeah, we're, we're 
we are not saved alone. We are saved as part of the body of Christ. Yeah. And so we are saved into a community and we're called to be expanding that community. We're called to be a different kind of community. Um, we're called to be people. I think that's Paul's message in Ephesians chapter three. We're called when, when, when Jew and Gentile, when black and white and, and slave and free and male and female can actually love each other and overcome all these little categories that we use here to divide us, then what we're actually doing is we're, we're making a statement to all the Trudeaus and Bidens of the world that we don't need you because Jesus is Lord. You're actually extra. You're a fake. You're, you, don't, you don't stand up to the model, and we're the model. We don't need you to tell us how to live. We don't need you because Jesus is Lord. And to the extent that we let black and white and economic differences and Jew and Gentile and slave and free separate us here, it allows the world to look at us and say, ah, nothing to see here, move along. Mm -hmm. So how we, how, what we do with each other is vital in the church. And we need to be an example, even more so than that. Yeah, yeah. And we see so much of that societal divide now. It is, it, it's crazy how that's really come back um, into play. And uh, it's the devil's tool that he just is like, no, you're, you look different. You're a different gender. You're a different race. Uh, you're a different religion. So that should be your dividing point. This is how I'm going to play into, into breaking you up and distracting from God's mission. Yeah, I, I think the, and I'm not picking on because this isn't a party thing. I think the Trudeaus and the Bidens and other political leaders, their vision is of unity is we need to have this table. This is the African-American table over here. This is the French-Canadian table over here. This is the white table over here. This is the Hispanic table over here. And we're all going to put all these tables in the same room and you have to recognize each other's tables. That's not the New Testament picture. The New Testament picture is we're all going to sit around one big table yeah. as equal. And that is not what we're fed by our leaders right now. And we need to realize the phoniness of the message that I think that we're getting. We all need to be sitting around the same table. That's not what's being offered to us. Yeah. And I, when it comes to political spectrum, I used to, I was politics. That's what I was before I did Christian stuff. Uh, before God really gave me that that kick in the butt in the different direction, uh, which he tends to do. Um, and one thing that uh, I always did was I always told it from the point of view that both sides have faults. Both sides, like the right, the left, neither of them are are, are perfect or right in, in everything that they're teaching. There's little bits from each of them that we can take. Uh, and somewhere in the middle is the truth somewhere in the middle is is where god wants us he doesn't want us far right extremists he doesn't want us far left extremists no god wants us in a place where we're putting him at the center and just getting rid of all like you see the dividing and the tables and and that no it's we're all children of god and god loves his children well i i might think that so my political party over here, I might think that my Babylon is better than your Babylon, but I'm still in Babylon. <laughs> and, and God's calling us out of Babylon. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, so how can we as a society and as a Christian community be more effective to reaching people, especially in a society where there are all these divides that, people put up and blockers that people put up how can we be more effective in reaching them well I, I i think i think there's i think there's two ways um the first way is we got to be sure that our our walk matches our talk we can't talk about <clears throat> so there's so we can't talk about divorce we can't talk about gay marriage. We can't talk about other things and then not love our wives. Mm, yeah. We, we can't talk about what other people are doing and not being consistent, loving, 
mothers, fathers, children, parents, our actions must be exemplary. So if we're going to talk and then our actions not show it, don't be surprised when no one's listening. Um, so I think, I think ideally people should walk into our churches and notice the marriages are better here. The families love each other more here. There's more forgiveness here. If they don't see a difference, we shouldn't be surprised that they don't want to become a part. And I think in too many instances, we become too much like the culture in which we live. And we need to be an antidote to the culture in which we live, not a participant. And the second thing we have to do, it's a lesson I learned when I was young, I was an associate pastor for a few years, and then I was called to be a senior pastor. I was 27 years old down to East Texas, which is a cultural jump. That's, that's, and I was down there for a while, and I lasted about three years, and I left. It was, I found it to be a foreign place. Um, I'm a northerner. They're a southerner. Uh, they're still fighting the Civil War down there, the American Civil War, in, in like many ways. And I did everything right. I did everything, all the, I did everything right. And then as I got 15 years down the road and looked back, while my actions were right, here's what I did wrong. I didn't love them. I tolerated them. But I didn't love them. We have to do one thing beyond tolerating the people around us who are on drugs or drinking or divorcing or you know, living in whatever way. We have, to, we have to do more than just tolerate them and reach out to them. We have to love them. That's what we're commanded to do. But if, what we do has to flow from a, an ache, an actual love for people that we might vehemently disagree with. We have to love them. We can't just isolate. We have, and so I think that's that's two prongs. And it's it's so hard. We see so much out there that's so antithetical to what we stand for that we get frustrated. We shake our head, rightly so. But we have to go beyond that. We have to love the people who are ruining their own lives with the stuff that they're doing. We have to love them. So we have to be. Our walk must, in my opinion, match our talk, but we got to love them. People will feel that you love them. If they don't feel that we love them, they're not going to listen. <laughs> and so I think that's the two prongs. We have to be consistent and we have to love them. Yeah, and love in this society is something definitely that is not preached. It's it's all about hate and and, and division. Uh, like we've mentioned. And so love definitely is the exact opposite of what we are seeing in society. And hate is, is the devil's tool uh, that he uses uh, and tries to place in our hearts. And like you say, we do need, we, we need to try to be above that and, and live above that. And that's one of the reasons why on, on this podcast, we just, we, we don't back down from anything. Uh, I'll, I'll cover any topic um, because uh, as a church, we can't be afraid to discuss things. The only way to bring about healing and and to fix things is to talk about things. Uh, and so I think that bringing that up is very, very important to, to healing uh, our society and healing the divide. Um, what's one piece of advice that you would give for students um, or even parents of students who are preparing for either Bible school or a secular university, um, just so that they're ready when they when they go into into this higher education and more of a stress environment. Um, I I give a two minute speech to all the college freshmen that and, and I teach at a university, and one of the things I say is I, I say a couple different things is the first is. Here is uh, the best part about being a college student, all the free time. You're not in school eight hours a day. You may be going to class three hours a day. So you have all this free time. So you can have time for study. You have time for homework. You have time to work ahead. You have time for all that stuff. So that's the best part about college life. You know what the worst part about college life is? All the free time. 
time for pickup basketball, time for ultimate Frisbee, time for going out for coffee with friends. So the best part about it could also be the worst part about it, but it's your choice how to use the extra time. So be very purposeful, intentional with your time usage. Um, be sure that you, the first thing you do with your free time is, is, is get what's due done. Work ahead even. That'll make you have no pressure free time. You can do something later if you want to play the pickup basketball game or something. So be very intentional with the extra time. The other thing I would say is, is that even in a university setting, even if you feel like you're in a hostile environment, you're going in where the sociology professor is mocking all religions or is mocking Christianity, um, is I would go in and really be tuned in to the people around you. Don't be afraid to have a conversation. Be more willing to have a conversation than you are to have an argument. Try to check out where people are coming from. It's, it's a good way to, to kind of discover how blessed you are. Um, and, 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 and know that there's going to be challenges at times, but that doesn't mean that you can't pick up a nugget somewhere in there. It doesn't have to challenge you, but it, you might pick up something that will actually strengthen your faith as well. So be willing to have conversations and be very careful about how you spend your time because the greatest strength can also be the biggest weakness. It all depends on how you use it. Yeah, I think that is so true. Um, and I can think back to my own college experience. Uh, I was the type that was a bit of a nerd and I, I got everything done. All my assignments were done in the first month of the semester. And then I had the rest of the semester where I could just kind of chill a bit more. And uh, some of that free time definitely could have been used uh in better ways. Oh, uh, I was terrible when I was when I was in college. I mean, I was worried about the next basketball game. I was worried about hanging out with my girlfriend. She's my wife right now, so that all worked out fine. But um, <laughs> um, and um, and I would do things at the last minute. But then when I got the master's work and doctoral work, then I had cleaned up my act. <laughs> I still got good grades, but I I was more intentional about you know outlining things and and plotting out the semester and when I have to have things done by. And it went a lot smoother if you do it that way than how I did it as an undergrad. Oh, it definitely did. I I, I get very stressed from school and that kind of thing. So for me, getting that stuff done was, was key to my sanity uh, and uh, just getting it out of the way. Uh, and yeah. I loved that, that the schools would tell you, you know, these are your assignments coming up these are your essays coming up because then it's like, okay, well I can actually focus, get this stuff done. And then when I had tests come up, I wasn't distressed because it's like, I can focus on the test instead of what my other class has me doing for this assignment that's due on the same day as this test. Uh, and so I think that really, really helped me in, in school. Oh, can, can I go back there? There was one thing you asked about to those students going away for college. Oh yeah. And I left one thing out and I can't believe I left it out. If you're going away from home, the first thing you do is the first couple Sundays, go to a go to a, a couple different churches, or and and when you find one, stay there. Go to the pastor and say, "Hey, I'm a student, but I'm going to be here every weekend. I'm on campus. I'm going to be in church. What do you need help with? You'd help with the teens. You'd help with the children, and plug yourself in." You're going to serve, and there's nothing more powerful in a church than a young person saying, I want to be a part of this. You're going to have so many older folks falling all over you. They're going to be putting $20 bills in your hand. They're going to be taking you out to dinner. They're going to be doing stuff that will make your college easier, and you're going to be building relationships. So don't be afraid to take the lead. I'm going to be part of this church. What needs to be done? I'm willing to do it. And people will fall all over themselves to support you. Yeah, and being a part of that church community, that's something uh, my wife and I have kind of struggled with since we had kids, uh, is, is being more uh, in tune to that. And as I've been doing a lot of these testimonies and stuff, my wife and I are just like, yeah, we need to get, get back involved. And uh, now I'm helping with a Bible study uh, in Chicago, um, which is far away from where I am. And uh, it's been... A a great city yeah it's been a, it's actually been a real blessing uh going back to that bible because we used to have small groups where we would get together 
um, and study the Bible. And it's like, I miss that. And so now I can do it online with, with this group of men. Uh, and we want to get a women's study going at some point here, but right now we've got the men's study going and it has been a real blessing. So yeah, it's, it gets you thinking about things and playing ideas off other people. Like I didn't think of it that way. Like it's, it's just an eye opener and a real blessing. And I, I think that, uh, that is very important is to be tuned into your church that way. I know my church has been um, talking about getting me involved in some stuff where I'll, I'll be leading some people uh, during the week. Um, and what I really want and feel churches need is more discipleship programming where it's one-on-one mentorship. Uh, you get some of your experienced Christians with your younger Christians yeah. and you hold each other to account um, for things. And, you know, the, the mentor may learn stuff from the, from the person that there is their disciple, uh, where they're, where they're actually teaching. Well, you can learn stuff from them and be like, Oh yeah, like it's a fresh take. And I think the churches and Christian community, we need to get back to doing that kind of thing where it's like that one-on-one time, whether it's once a week or once every two weeks or once a month, just being in constant communication with that person, holding them in check, learning what their struggles are, um, sharing what your struggles are, so you can hold each other to account. And I would like to see that in our church. Um, I'd like to see that uh, throughout churches. And that's one of the things that uh, with the Facebook group of Mission Revival that we started, that's one of the things we're really hoping to get going in the church community is that exact thing. Um, I think that'll lead to revival. That'll lead to people getting more on fire for Christ and and getting that desire to learn. Um, when you've got people asking you questions about things, well, then you learn because you've got to dig for answers. Yep. I agree. Um, so thank you for coming on. It's been a real, it's been a real pleasure. Um, very insightful. And, uh, I would love to have you back on another time. Okay. Thank you for listening to Cool Explorations. Today, you've just been listening to Pastor Douglas Ward, Professor of Biblical Literature at Olivet Nazarene University, and we've been discussing the key elements of the Bible and how they can be applied to uh, today's society and uh, how they can really help us uh, going forward. And uh, if you want to discuss this further or uh, any other thing with me or you'd like to appear on the show, just contact me at tpeter745 at gmail.com. Well, I have just been uh, blessed with so many people who are requesting to be on the show, and I'm impressed with how many people want to share their testimonies or what they're doing uh, for the Lord right now. Uh, If I haven't got back to you, I promise I will get back to you. Uh, I look forward to to speaking with each of you and interviewing you. And uh, keep tuning into the show. There's lots of of new people that are coming on here, and if you're considering wanting to to come on the show uh just shoot me an email at tpeters745 at gmail.com and uh, i will get back to you